The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. I invite you to open up, if you're here with me at the church, to open up your bulletins to page 10. And um, we're going we're gonna to be picking up um, another one of Jesus' incredible miracles, um, and this time it's going to be an exorcism, and this is from Mark chapter 9. So if you're at home um, listening in on Zoom, please open up to Mark chapter 9, and we'll pick it up right there at, at verse 14. Please stand out of respect for the words and works of Jesus. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him and throws him to the ground, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Please be seated.
I've never seen The Exorcist. I, I haven't seen its sequel either. Normally with a thing like that, that has so much cultural cachet because it really is the ideas of The Exorcist are, are embedded in our culture today. It's, it's one of the top horror films of, of all time. Everyone's heard of it, so to speak, unless you live on a rock. But I've never seen it, and, and that's, a, that's a personal choice that I've made, because I don't need to see it. Because what I understand is that the world that the exorcist tries to portray is oh so real. It is. It, 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 we believe, the scriptures teach us, that there are powers so awesome that they can completely undo us. That they can overwhelm us. That they can decreate us. That they can lead us into temptation. So I don't need to see the exorcist. I, I know that we live in a world just like that. And, and look... Mark portrays it for us in vivid details. The foaming at the mouth. The little boy that's seized by, by shaking. An exorcism that takes place that was so powerful in nature that, that after it was over, it was so, the boy was so quiet that when you looked at him, you thought he was dead. But he wasn't. Jesus takes him by the hand and, and lifts him up. This is, this is what I want to do today with you. I want, I want to acknowledge with you the reality of the spirit world. But more than that, I want to look with you at its power and finally, finally, its supreme Lord. But first of all, the reality the way that the story starts is that, that Jesus arrives on the scene. And this is just a little bit of an aside. But the church, and I, and I mean the church in general, the believers are a disaster. They're fighting. And they botched an exorcism. And they didn't even know what to do. And, and so Jesus, he, and the church can be that, like that, by the way. The church can be like that. We, the church never cl complains or says that, it, that it's perfect. What we claim is that our Lord is perfect. But that's really just an aside. The church here is an absolute unbelieving disaster. And Jesus walks into this disaster, and he asks what's going on, and the Father pipes up. And he says, Jesus, and he gives this detailed explanation of the symptoms of this little boy. And you know what it sounds like? It sounds exactly like ep epilepsy. There's these moments that come over him. It says like grand mal seizures. He's foaming at the mouth. This is verse 18. It throws him to the ground. He gnashes his teeth. It, it becomes rivet, rigid. And people today, they, they would look at a thing like that and be like, oh, what he needs is a pill. Like, like, this has got to be epilepsy. And biblical scholars, they, they, they'll, they'll read this section of the Bible, and what they want to do is they call it demythologizing the Bible. 
They'll be like, this, this, is, this Rudolf Bultmann did this. He'd look at the, let's demythologize it so people can actually believe what the Bible says. What, what, these, are, these are people who just didn't get the science. They, they couldn't pierce into it and see what, what's really happening here is a physical condition. But people like that have what's called, C.S. Lewis called it historical snobbery. Like, like they think, they think we're so much smarter than past generations, we can see it, we can get it, we can pierce into the symptoms and know that what this is is, is epilepsy. But that's just snobbery to think that we're better and smarter and more advanced than they are. And what they don't see is the other symptoms. Because this wasn't just epilepsy, this was epilepsy with murderous intent. Like the epilepsy would, would come over him when, they were, when, when he's swimming in the water. And all of a sudden, he'd start to drown. And the father would run in and grab the little boy. Epilepsy with murderous intent. Or they'd be by a fire, and, and the demon would, would throw the little boy into the fire. Epilepsy with murderous intent. See, there's more going on than epilepsy. And Everybody knew it, even, even to the point when, and I love this part of the story, it says the demon, the unclean spirit, saw Jesus. I love that. He sees Jesus when he gets around the holy, the powerful. When he, the demon gets around his Lord, what happens? Again, epilepsy. Seizure, foaming at the mouth, rigid like a board. This, this isn't just epilepsy. This, this is what Mark says, possession. This is demonic possession. Now, I just I want to pause right there in the story and, and call on you for discernment. Because I think today, we moderns, that's how we think of ourselves at least in this, in this Western mindset, it's too easy for us to, to, to just go skin deep and we think, well, we really know what's going on. This is an epileptic uh, um, condition and what, what they really need is a pill, but we fail to diagnose the other symptoms that are going on. We have to go deeper than that. We need true discernment. Like, the Bible, the Bible actually teaches us this, that, that there is another world, another reality, a third dimension, you might call it, that we cannot see. And so we need, we need, we, we need to ask God for discernment. Look, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a story called The Voyage of the Don Treader. And in the story, the, the characters arrive at, at this enchanted island, but they don't know it's enchanted. King Caspian... And King Edmund begin to fight. And they've never fought before. They're fighting over, over this, 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 this fountain that turns everything to gold. And then Lucy cries out, You're enchanted, stop! And they realized in that moment what was really going on, that, that, that a power had come over them, and what they normally wouldn't do, they did. And just the discernment stopped it all. We need to be able to discern that our reality, there's always something deeper going on like the political movements of our day. I mean it. 
I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Like, who is it that's really leading the charge? The prince of the air. Or, or how is it that the Virgin of Guadalupe can do miracles? A lot of people ascribe the power to God. I don't. People are living under delusion. Like, there is, she does have true power, apparently, at least in her name. But where does that power come from? The evil one. Why is it, have you ever asked yourself this, why is it that your family always, during the week you rarely fight, but then on the way to church you fight? What is it that we're missing? We need to be able to discern that there is a whole other reality and, and, and learn to ask ourselves the question, what is it, why is it that, that I, I fall under like this sleep drug on Sunday morning, I can't get up? And could it be that there's something deeper that we can't understand that's actually going on? We need to be able to discern. We ask, ask the Holy Spirit to help us to discern what is it that is actually going on. And it's not just a seizure, not here. Spiritual attacks are real. The Bible says so, and they are powerful. And I want to show you just how powerful they are using this story. We can look at the power of this impure spirit, unclean spirit, and let's first of all look at the power in physically. Physically. Maybe you've asked yourself this question, how, how strong, how powerful are these spiritual forces? Well, we're going to get an answer here, at least with this one demon. Physically, what was this, this, this demon able to do? He took over the motor control of his body. Like this was a full bodily possession. Like he, he controlled arms and legs and, and lungs. And he was able to throw this little boy, this poor little boy to the ground. Like physically, it's, it's, it's as if the personality of the, this little boy became so marginalized and so pushed off into a little corner that the demon just was pulling all the strings. Like one of those Star Trek moments. It's really scary stuff. These, these spiritual forces has incredible power. What about cognitively? This boy is suffering from cognitive impairment. He can't speak. Like the, norm, the normal development of a little boy would be that, like, like Drew, he can't speak right now, but he's learning little words. He, he's he's going to say dada first pretty soon, I think. And... <laughs> <laughs> and, and it goes like that unless, and look, there's also learning development, but that's not, what, that's not what's happening here. This demon was so powerful that he cognitively impaired the little boy's development. Really powerful. And yet at the same time, we, we need to recognize that this, uh, this demon was also very limited in his power. Like, look, this demon would have loved to not only possess the little boy, but also his dad, but he couldn't touch the dad. Not at the same time. He didn't have the strength. Or everyone that around him, he, he, he could only control that little boy, and he controlled him really well, but he couldn't, he couldn't reach outside the boy. We also know that he, the demon would have loved to kill the boy. Could he do it? No, he couldn't. 
Demons are, are not omnipotent. They're not omniscient. They can't read your mind. They can't. They're really powerful. They can impair us physically and cognitively, but they cannot control us. The Bible teaches us this. Our theologians actually say this. There's three ways that, that demons influence human beings. I'm going to give them to you. The first one hardly ever happens. It's called bodily possession. That's what we have here in this little boy. But full bodily control, pulling all the strings, bodily possession. You see, it, you see it sometimes in the Bible. Hardly ever happens, but it does happen. And here's the good news. It can never happen for a believer. Not ever, because the Holy Spirit's not a good share. The Holy Spirit is a horrible share. The Holy Spirit will, will drive any impure demon right on out. So that's the good news. This can never, bodily possession, which hardly ever happens, even for the unbeliever, it hardly ever happens, can happen. But then there's spiritual possession. That's the second one, spiritual possession. And this happens to every single unbeliever. Every single unbeliever is actually spiritually possessed. The Bible says this. Just read Ephesians chapter 2. Let me, re let me read just a section from Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul said this. We were all born this way, as Paul says, when, you when we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Which means that, that, that in a sense, and this is how Luther put it, is, is that e if e each of us were donkeys, somebody's always going to be driving us and guiding us. It's either going to be the spiritual world or it's going to be God's spirit, but it's, it can't be anybody else. Spiritually possessed. This happens to millions and millions. They can't help themselves. They have to do what the world tells them. They have to do what the prince of the air tells them. Only Christians are not. In fact, we could say this, that Christians are, in a sense, spiritually possessed, but by the Holy Spirit. And this is what it means then to be set free. We're set free from the power of the kingdom of the air, like Paul says. That's the second one. The third one is what we might call spiritual oppression. And here's where I have good news and bad news for you. This happens to believers too. It does. Job was a believer. What was the enemy able to do to him? Afflict him physically. Right? Give him sores. Make him sick. Take away his family. Like the, Spiritual oppression can happen even to believers. Or David. Think about David. What was, what was the enemy able to do to David? The Bible says that, that, Dave, that Satan came to him and incited him to take a census against God's will. He, in other words, he was able to get into his mind and cause him to do something he would normally not do. This is what we call, we, we, we give it a name, it's called temptation. Spiritual oppression happens to all of us where Satan comes or one of his, his, his demons comes into our life and, and they oppress us, they tempt us, they get into our thoughts Give us sicknesses and all these other different things, the Bible says. This is the power, the real power 
of the spiritual world. Now, I think this, for me, this point, this pushes in, in, in two directions for us. And, and the first, the first is, is simply this. We need to have a proper re- fear and respect of this world. My mom taught me this. And I'm trying to teach this to my kids. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. You think a Ouija board is a joke? I don't. You think going to have your palm read is a joke? Like, I mean, think, think, you, you think tarot cards is okay? Look, the devil doesn't know the, the, the future, but there is, the, the devil has thousands and thousands of years of experience, so he can make a really good guess. I had an experience, I, I was doing some evangelism when, when I was in college in Minnesota, and there was a man who was involved in Wicca. I'm not going to go all into Wicca. He said to me, he said, Tim, I was all into it. I thought it was this white magic, like channeling and crystals and new age stuff. He said, Tim, I got involved with it, and the moment I saw a voice come out of somebody else, that's when I got out. This isn't stuff to be messing around with. Like we, we need to take this oh so seriously and have a proper fear and respect of it because you, you mix around in that stuff long enough and you will be oppressed or possessed. That's how it happens. So proper fear and respect. But the second way, the, the second way that it pushes is this. And this, this is so interesting. I don't understand the disciples in this lesson. Like, it seems like, this is what it seems like. It seems like they thought they could go up to this little boy and just say, in Jesus' name, go out. But they never prayed. They never, apparently, they never prayed on it. It never even seems to, 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 and this is why they botched the exorcism. They never prayed. And, and so Jesus says, they, they ask him, why couldn't we drive it out? And, and Jesus says, this kind can only come out by prayer. I want to affirm with Jesus the power of prayer. There's a reason why Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. He taught us to pray that. And and when we pray that, how many angels does he send at our disposal? Like he himself frees us from from this spiritual bondage and agony. We want to have a proper fear and also a proper prayer life in response to all of this. And finally, this is this is how I want to I want to We've seen the reality. We've seen the reality of the spiritual world. We've also seen the power of it. And now I want you to see, clear as day, it's Lord. And I'm not talking about Satan anymore. I'm talking about Jesus. Now the Father, the Father here, um, he makes a bit of a mistake. But before I come down, on, I'll come down on him in a second. I, I want to affirm this dad because, and, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm flogging a horse here and I don't want to do that, but we're so hard on dads today. 
We really are. I, I told some of you the story that I was helping Felicity with her homework, and they had this fill-in-the-blank about dads. It said, dad, dad gets blank when the remote is lost. And it was one of those word banks where you cross out the word, you know, and you're supposed to figure out which word goes in there. You know what word was supposed to go in there? This is New York City Public Schools. Dad gets angry. I was, I, 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 maybe I'm easily offended, but I was offended. I, I was like, maybe it's cozy. That was one of the words on there. Maybe it's cozy. Or maybe it's, like, there's all these other words. Like, no, it couldn't be angry. It couldn't be. Are we really going to normalize dads that are angry and just want to sit in front of the TV with the remote? Like, that, that kind of bothers me. Look, this dad showed up. Right? There, I don't know where mom was. Mom was probably there too. Like, I don't want to throw moms under the bus here. Let's not do that. Mom, I, I don't think we have a problem as a culture with moms, though. I really don't. We have a problem with the culture with dads. Dad here showed up. He's helping his son, right? He's, he, he's there, but then he does one thing wrong. And it's not all his fault because the disciples, the church, had failed him. And now he's thinking this, this demon is, is almost omnipotent and nobody can touch it. So he goes to Jesus and he, and he says to Jesus in verse 23, excuse me, verse 22, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything. And then Jesus comes back with this iconic verse, if you can, of course he could. Everything is possible for one who believes. There's, a, there's, there's tremendous debate about, well, what does Jesus mean? Here's, here's at least one thing that Jesus means. It means that the believer should never limit God. God can do anything. Jesus can do anything. We should never limit God. He might decide not to do it. But he can. Jesus says, believers, he says, believers never limit what God can do. And then Jesus did what the man thought maybe he couldn't do. He summons his authority. He gives the demon a name. And he says, I command you come out and never go back. And what did the demon do? He comes out. He had to. That is the authority of Jesus over the spiritual world. Sometimes I think that, that we get enamored with this, this spiritual world and we think they're omniscient, they can read my thoughts, they can do whatever they want with me. And the truth of the matter is that is not true. Because we belong to the one who has all authority. That's why, that's why Peter said, Peter said, resist the devil, not because you can't, but because you can. In Christ, you can. In fact, Jesus is so powerful that he uses the devil to carry out his salvation. Just one last example of this. The devil incited Judas to betray Jesus. That was dumb. 
The devil's thinking to himself, like, if I can just kill Jesus, everything's going to be okay. And then it looked like the devil must have thrown this incredible party, like, wow, the Son of God hung on the cross. He's dead. But then Jesus rose again. And he went into hell itself. And the hordes of hell and Satan himself all of them put together had nothing on our Lord and Savior. He is the Lord. Now he's going to come at you. I talked about this. He's going to, come, he's going to try to get you to, to live in guilt. It's one of his favorite tactics. Jesus says you're forgiven. He's going he's gonna to try to lead you in temptation. Stand firm in your faith. Like, you, utilize your prayer life. Put on, put on the, we, the defensive weapons of the faith. Like Paul says. And most of all, pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, you... You put a hedge around us. You protect us from the assaults of the evil one. We thank you for demonstrating your power over the spiritual world, even over this powerful demon that had possessed this little boy. Deliver us from evil.